The time is hard here, but listening shouldn't be. I'm your co-host, Sergeant Jake Motherfucker Welder. I do not accept your street cred, and your race card has been declined. Why am I saying these things? Because I am not safe for work, and that probably includes YouTube. So this is Patreon. Yes, thanks for supporting Patreon. This is ex-Sergeant Bates. That was uh, Welder's best get-off-the-fence yell. And boy, I got to tell you, I know he's a hard-ass, but uh, he's a soft-spoken hard-ass. And I got to say, uh, I'm not sure I would be initially, sh- you know, uh, shocked by the volume or intensity of his voice enough to climb down the fence. But, you know, that's what impact batons are for. So welcome <laughs> to Failure to Stop Hard Time. We're going to break down a case that uh, happened a few years ago. It was already talked about on Failure to Stop, but it kind of fell by the wayside. It's about some transport deputies who got into some deep shit. We're going to talk about why that was such bullshit and uh, just really kind of keep it loose and tell some other stories. So without uh, further ado, we'll get into it. Jake, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, sir. All right. Um, last week, we had an uh, in de- in-depth breakdown of the uh, Otiano in-custody death in Henrico County, Virginia. It was in-depth, and it was heavy, and it was long, and we got a lot of positive feedback. And for those of you that were that really liked that, you are disappointed because we're going to do something completely different. We're going to just uh, talk about one case that happened a couple years ago that actually I first came to my attention on failure to stop. I'm not sure who was talking about it. I'm going to say Mike just because I can't ask him about it because Mike has never spoken to me, which is fine. Um, but I'm going to read to you the case of uh, a transporter, which is a sheriff's deputy or a correctional officer who takes uh, an inmate outside of the perimeter of the facility. There's various reasons they do that. And this was a case that occurred uh, just prior to the whole George Floyd thing. This was 2019. This was Hurricane Florence. Uh, this was in South Carolina. But it was a bullshit case. And uh, like we said last week, Jake, I'm sure you agree with the Otiano thing, uh, there but for the grace of God go you and me. We had two, v- uh, and I'll read this, uh, this is from ABC News. This is, these uh, sheriff's deputies were fired from Horry County, which is spelled H-O-R-R-Y. Two former deputies arrested after two women drowned in their transport van during Hurricane Florence, per officials. Actually, it is kind of in-depth, if you think about it. Two former South Carolina sheriff's deputies were arrested Friday, after two women in their transport van died when they were swept away in Hurricane Florence floodwaters, officials said. Joshua Bishop, then 29, has been charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter. And Stephen Flood, I want to bring to light the fact that the officer, the deputy's name is Flood. That has nothing to do with the fact that the inmates were lost in a flood. That is not a pun, I'm just letting you know. He was 66 at the time. They've been charged with two counts of reckless homicide and two counts of involuntary manslaughter, said the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, or SLED, which is investigating the case. Horry County Sheriff's deputies Bishop and Flood were assigned to transport two women, both mental health patients, for treatment on September 18th, as water levels were rising from the deadly hurricane, SLED said. The deputies were told by another officer that a certain route wouldn't be passable because of the water, but... Flood took the route anyway, and he drove right into floodwaters, Sled claimed. Now, was that another officer, or was that a National Guardsman? Because I've heard two different accounts of this, where he pulled up to a National Guardsman who closed the road, and he says, now we just closed it, you should still be able to make it through. Did you read something different on that, or right, was yeah. it another officer? It said that uh, they were uh, 
waved around a barricade by a National Guardsman. So I'm, I don't know if this is supposed to be, you know, beforehand they were speaking to someone or, if, yeah, if it was a little confusion in the reporting, but. They may have asked another uh, officer or a deputy or someone with their agency. It might have been wise to dial 911 and maybe ask about that road because it's, I mean, I don't know, might not have been wise to do that in the midst of a hurricane. In any event, you know, there was a barricade and someone with some authority told them that it was safe to go through. Okay, so there's number one. So you're not trying to kill anyone. You're trying to keep them safe. You're trying to get them back to the facility. But there's stuff that happened even before this that we need to address. But I'll get to that. Their van was stalled out and was swept across the road and up against a guardrail, Sled said. And the road under them washed away and the van sank into a hole. Bishop escaped and tried to rescue the woman who couldn't open the doors from the inside, but he wasn't able to, according to Sled. Bishop was, a was able to save Flood, and a boat later rescued both officers. Both women, the late Wendy Newton and Nicolette Green, drowned. Bishop and Flood were fired in October. Brooke Holden, spokeswoman for the Horry County Sheriff's Office, told ABC News, Bishop and Flood surrendered Friday morning to Sled agents at the Marion County Detention Center, Sled spokesman Tom Barry told ABC News. They had a bond hearing so following they, the booking. So they weren't arrested. They, they surrendered themselves. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Flood's attorney uh, said her client was, had served with the military police in Massachusetts for 14 years before moving to South Carolina in 2007, where he spent 10 years with the Horry County law enforcement. That lawyer declined to comment on the case, but said her client has not entered a plea. Bishop had entered a not guilty plea, according to his attorney. The attorney called the incident a horrible tragedy, but said his client was a passenger transporting them. He wasn't even a decision maker, so this would have been an officer in the back. He was actually the junior person who was on duty. Bishop feels horrible for the families, he added. All right, so what, what sentence did they get out of this? I'm going to go to the article from CBS News that indicates their sentencing. This is in 2022, so this is now three years after that incident. A deputy in South Carolina whose police van was swept away by floodwaters in the aftermath of Hurricane Florence, drowning two women, was sentenced Thursday to 18 years in prison. The Marion County jury found former Horror County Deputy Stephen Flood guilty of two counts of involuntary manslaughter. This is the guy who's 66, I believe, and two counts of reckless homicide. Now, the two passengers had been ordered by a judge to be inv involuntarily committed the day they died. And actually, that was in 2018, so this is four years later. I want to correct the record. Their family said they were not violent, which is not accurate, by the way. You do not get an involuntary committal unless you're a danger to yourself or others. So the judge is not going to sign an involuntary committal unless someone is dangerous. Otherwise, we just try to get them to do it voluntarily. A voluntary committal is actually what that's called. Uh, Newton was only seeking medicine for her fear and anxiety, and obviously her violent outbursts is not indicated by this article. And Green's family said she was committed to a mental facility by a regular mental health appointment by a counselor she had never seen before. Okay. So a counselor she'd never seen before had also committed her. So what could be going on there? Well, there's obviously some kind of exigent circumstances where that counselor thinks that she's a danger, isn't it? Just is not just going to let her walk out of the clinic. So both of these females are a danger to themselves or others. I just that's not in the article, but you you know it is by the mere fact that they were involuntarily committed. Mm -hmm. Someone who is not a danger to themselves, you say, look, you need help. You can do it yourself. We don't have the legal leverage we have over you to commit you against your will. This is what's best for you. Like, weigh the options. Let's figure it out. And you can talk someone into doing this. Deputy Flood, 69. He was 69 nice. years old. So he's, yes, nice. Well, also really not nice. Be, you know, he's 69 at the time of his sentencing. The guy right. should have been retired by now. He was sentenced 
about 30 minutes after the verdict, when several relatives of the woman said the decision to press forward with the shortest route left an impossible fix hole in their lives. This is a deliberate act set in motion by a pompous, stubborn man. Green's sister, Donella Green Johnson, told the judge, he abused the trust of my sister, Nikki Wendy, in the state of South Carolina and trusted him. And for what? To save time. Well, there's a hurricane. Maybe they're trying to get him back to the facility in a hurry. And the situation is such that roads are washing out. So maybe time's not on your side. Right. Maybe if you're going to get back at all, you need to get back now. Well, and the best what... choosing the best route, obviously, they should have consulted uh, the family members before doing that. But yeah, I wish uh, the they best had, route cause... can change quite a bit during a, a situation like a hurricane. You know, roads oh, can yeah. be safe. Then they're no longer safe, you know. That will get Mi- you know, absolutely get a little more. Minute, minute to minute, those roads can wash out and be gone. After the incident, Green's family released a statement saying these women were not inmates or criminals. They were women who voluntarily sought help and involuntarily committed. I'm adding, the trust of the hospitals and the sheriff's deputies with their lives, and that trust was abused. Trust was abused, even though, as we know as we'll break down here in brief, that the deputies there attempted to save their lives. So I don't know how trust was abused. Uh, Green had three children. She had already lost one to cancer in 2015. I don't know how that's relevant other than to just make you feel more sad for the fact that she's dead. Circuit Court Judge William C. Ellis sentenced Flood to five years in prison on each involuntary manslaughter charge and four years on each reckless homicide charge. He ordered the sentences to be served back-to-back, so not concurrently, as in he's doing all the time at once. He's going to finish one sentence, and then the, the calendar will flip over, and he begins his new sentence inside prison, and he probably won't even know what day that is. <laughs> the floodwater swept the police van off its wheels in September 2018 and pinned it against a guardrail, preventing the women from being able to get out of the sliding door they used to enter the van. Flood and a deputy with him did not have the key to a second door, and there was no emergency escape hatch. Why the hell would there be an emergency escape hatch? What kind of movie shit is that? I have Why is two, there an emergency two or three escape on hatch? All of my vehicles. I don't know about you. There's no such thing as an emergency escape hatch, people. It is a vehicle. It is this thing was probably a, an old Chevy Astro that had a cage built inside of it. And what is a cage? That's a, a wire mesh wall between the front and the back. Okay. Right. They're making it seem like these like these women were locked up in a dog kennel in the back or something. I do think it's bullshit that they don't have the key, but there's no escape hatch because you don't want them to escape. That's the whole point of them being in the cage. Right. So, so if you put it in an escape hatch, just don't put it in the cage. Yeah, less so, v- vulnerabilities, less doors, less things to open. Yeah, so I mean, that's basic security. Yeah. I mean, even, even at your local grocery store, there's a limited number of, gro- of entrances. And you may mm-hmm. notice at your local grocery store that after a certain hour, one of the entrances closes. That's to increase security of the grocery store, okay? So, yes, there's only one way in and out of the van. And no, there's no escape hatch. It's a prisoner transport van. I just can't believe the asinine... I can't believe CBS would put that in there. There's no escape hatch. Well, why the fuck would there be? <laughs> you know, where's the emergency escape pods in prison? So, like, you know, if there's a riot, you can jump in this thing that shoots you out and you parachute down in the park, obviously. Right. You know, these prison, prisons need these escape pods to help these inmates escape. All right, the deputies said they spoke to women and tried to keep them calm for about an hour. So they didn't just jump ship. They didn't just say, nuts to you, ladies. We're going, uh, we're, we're going to leave. They stayed there and talked to for an hour as the water kept rising before it was too dangerous and rescuers could no longer hear them. So it's got to be awful when you're in this situation. You're not abandoning your duty. You're not abandoning these women. You cannot get them out. 
Uh, one thing we did find in our research, and this was mentioned in the original failure to stop, is that they attempted to use a gun to break the lock. Okay, so that's sheer desperation because this yeah. is not Star Wars where you shoot a door <laughs> panel and the door opens. Okay, this is not this is not some Nicolas Cage movie with an escape hatch in the van, and this is not Star Wars where you can shoot off a lock. Shooting a lock from a ballistic and mechanical point of view you're going to impact the lock and then the bullet is going to dispel all the energy after the ricochet and you're not going to do much of anything with that right there's no ejecto cedo cuz like in uh, fast and furious i love those movies and i've watched them all because i'm a cool man <laughs> all right <laughs> how awful must that have been to sit there and wait for your own death now i do empathize with those women that's horrible well other factors like an emergency radio that failed to Notify rescuers of the van's exact location contributed to the deaths. Again, why, why didn't they dial 911? That's, I'm going to put that on them, that even if their phones were deactivated, they could dial 911. Maybe the towers were down. I've never worked 911 in a hurricane, so I have no idea what the hell goes wrong. If your if self-service all goes down, then they can't even do that. They, and then they, the drownings all came out of the reckless decision, meaning without reckoning or thought, to drive, through two mile, drive two miles through water. National Guard troops had put up barricades on Highway 76 just outside of Nichols, the flood drove around them after briefly talking to the soldiers. In other words, that confirmed what we mentioned earlier, that he got their assent. You cannot yeah. run the barricade of a National Guardsman without the Guardsman saying, this is fine. Yeah, it's not a ballistic uh, transport van. It's not like a big Brinks truck. It's just, like you said, Chevy Astro, Ford, Transit, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So Clement read from the fl from flood statement that he was felt like he was once he was in the water he could not turn around because he could no longer see the edge of the highway and he was worried about running into a ditch yeah he was worried about about drowning them right away he thought if i turn around i'm going to drive into deep water and that's the end of all of us right now yeah maybe it wounded his pride or stubbornness i don't know wait a second that's not what he said right he didn't say like i'm too good to turn around no he pushed yeah. forward into water that was uh, just standing in a tall puddle, but it was rushing, crossing the guardrail, all of it all of it by the little P.D. River by then. Okay, this name of this river is P.D. That's Paul Edward Edward, space, David Edward Edward. I'm not responsible for the names and, and places and what they're named in South Carolina. It's a weird name for a river. Flood is a weird name for a deputy being involved in a flood. Flood's lawyers said it was a terrible tragedy. Others were trying to unfairly blame just the former deputy instead of the equipment problems. The troops that waved them around the barricades and supervisors who knew the situation was dangerous. Okay, that's what I wanted to get to, supervisors. So how the hell is it a hurricane? You and I are both sergeants. I'm ex-sergeant. I, I don't know if that counts for anything. But you got, a, you got a fucking hurricane, and you have two appointments for two inmates that are not emergent. Okay, they're being taken out of the facility for non-emergent reasons. If, it's, if there's truly an emergency outside, like the National Weather Service has declared a flash flood watch, which... You know they have, or else the National Guard hasn't been there. Hmm. Why is the why is the correctional facility still maintaining its normal operations? At a certain point with the weather, you suspend normal operations. There's actually a whole plan for that of what you do when you suspend normal operations. And canceling appointments is normal. I don't know what it's like where you down, down there in the high mountainous desert or wherever you are, but here we get snow. And if we get snow over a certain mount and the roads are impassable and the visibility is poor, you know what we do? We cancel the appointments, and we keep the inmates in custody. We keep them safe. We don't take risks, and we don't do that. But So you're going to blame this officer that was just trying to get these two women back safely and as fast as possible to safety of, of the facility. You're blaming them for that. 
You're taking a guy who's now 69 years old and you're basically sentencing him to life in prison because right. of his age. You're, you've ended his pension. You've ended however many years he's in the sheriff's office. But the supervisors who told him that he needed to go on this transport, are they even facing administrative criticism? I hope so. And I say that while, while being ardently on the side of supervisors and correctional officers, but somebody's in charge of that man, and the person who's in charge said, go ahead and do it. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we actually do get some snow up here. And actually, I've been sent on several transports when the weather's been bad. Because I'm from the Northeast, they they seem feel like, oh, well, we're more confident in your driving skills. So I've driven several hundred miles through pretty bad conditions for things that I would not consider an emergency. So I kind of understand where uh, Deputy Flood was coming from here. But at mm-hmm. the same point, I agree. As a, as a supervisor, I would talk to administration or whoever and say, "This this is not wise to be happening today. If it's not life and death, what's what's the point of risking it?" If I if I felt strongly enough that I would ask that we cancel the plan, and they told me to do it anyway, I might tell them to give that to me in writing. <laughs> right. Like, okay, I want this coming from you that this is the plan, and we're executing your plan because if I'm doing what my agency tells me to do. The liability shifts from individual to agency liability. Uh, That's the whole reason why you have policy, right? Is so that when something goes wrong, it's the agency's policy that's at fault, and therefore the agency and not the individual officer. So as long as you're abiding by policy and acting in good conscience and doing things that reasonable correctional officers would do, you're pretty much good to go. Now, they're trying to say that he was stubborn and he wouldn't turn around, which he just said, I didn't want to drive off the road. Anyway, I'm really glad they they brought up the supervisor's part, but... Uh, again, they're not addressing the fact that supervisors are involved here in terms of culpability. Flood did not testify, but before he was sentenced, he told the judge he tried everything he could to keep the women calm as water rose and helps was, was slow to arrive. It was a series of mistakes on my part and other people that led me to the point, and I'm sorry for what happened to those girls, he said. Flood and the deputy with them, Bishop, were eventually rescued from the top of the transport van. Authority said Bishop will stand trial for two counts of involuntary manslaughter at a later date. They tried to shoot the locks off the second door, but it would not open. A delay in getting help was costly, too. A firefighter testified they were able to cut the roof off the van and started working on the cage, but the water got higher and faster, and it was too dangerous to continue. Can you imagine being those firefighters and seeing those women in the cage? I don't right. know. It doesn't indicate if they were alive or dead, but, I mean, I assume they were because in the middle of a hurricane, you're not doing rescue operations, or you're not doing recovery operations while you're still doing rescue. Like, if there's someone else there that's alive that you can help, you're going to leave the bodies behind in a van. Yeah. I can forgive, but I cannot forget. Fortunately, I still remember my mom is a happy woman, a joyful woman who loved her family, he said. But you, Mr. Flood, will remember my mom hearing the screams in the back of that van. You know, that's some cold-hearted shit. Right. Um, how about this? You know, you're, and I'm sorry those women are dead. Okay, that always, goes, that always needs to be said, but it also goes without saying, because I don't want anybody to die. But where's the accountability f- for them? Okay, so, you know, they're they're... They've got some mental illnesses going on. Was this their first day? I, I wager to, to speculate that maybe it wasn't. And maybe we shouldn't speculate. Maybe this was just well, the worst day of their life and it really compounded into this. But your mental health is your responsibility and it's not the state's. So in, in a way, it's sort of ridiculous that you have to get to the point where you need to be involuntarily committed. So you've reached a point where you're saying, I'm no longer competent to be in charge of my life. And the state has to do it for me. I have to basically be on mental health parole at this point. That's what... <laughs> IVC is is you're now under you're now under you know basically supervised 
detention and supervised release pending, you know, someone signing off that you're okay to be on your own. Mm. And as sad as it is, I'm not sure it's the state's responsibility to take on your mental health care. I mean, this is something that we addressed a lot in the last episode and that we're talking about a lot today in police issues. And it's in correctional issues, too. But to what extent does the state owe you? They have to take on your welfare, your care. You know, it's it's an argument as old as the social contract, I guess. But basically, these two women died because they were in the care of the state. And uh, I'm not a taxpayer in that state, but I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't have been happy that they were in the care of, of the county because they didn't commit a crime. Right. We've discussed this before. Being mentally ill is not mm-hmm. a crime. And they're in the custody of sheriff's deputies or correctional officers or whatever these are. And this terrible thing happened. But I guess the biggest horseshit thing of all is just their sentencing, that they were sentenced to such harsh sentences, uh, particularly Deputy Flood. His life's over. <laughs> the family member said, you have to listen to the, you have to live with the screams of my mom the rest of your life. I mean, it's absolutely punitive. Does They don't care about what whatever heroic measures he took to rescue the mom. And I get that they failed, so it's like you're not going to boast about that, but you should take recognition of the fact that these guys, they got into trouble. They could have bailed out of the van right away. They didn't. They stayed with your mom, tried to keep her calm, and until her last moments of life, they were there with her. And Drew would probably say that that was a real hardship they took on, that they've got anguish, mental anguish, that they're going to have to live with the rest of their lives, you know, that they stayed there with those women. And that it was sort of an honor to be there with a woman in, in her last moments and to be there with her and to try to keep her calm and share the, share the last moments of their life. I mean, it's adversarial, you know, position you are when with an inmate, but just like being on the 911 call as someone's passing away and you're failing to save them, you know, you're taking on a burden, but you're the, you, it's honorable to be there for someone and with someone until the end. Mm. And no one's saying that about this poor deputy who uh whose life is ruined and everything that he worked for is over too and the mom's not coming back and again here's a cynical john saying there's a huge cash payout somewhere in this story that's not being mentioned right and uh yeah for the grace of god go you and me i i don't have much else to say on that case other than the sentencing was absolutely bullshit the incident was bullshit it should never have happened i think of those two officers i think very highly of them and i i think that there was bravery in staying and jake i'll give it to you for any other comments you have on that yeah, and I mean the the important detail there of being rescued from the top of the van. You know, they weren't standing at high ground watching as the van floated away. They were right there. No, I'm pretty sure from the accounts, sounds like they were assisting in the rescue, attempted rescue at least. Like you said, they weren't successful. But but yeah, I mean I've never had that harrowing of a transport. Thankfully, never been in that situation. Thankfully, after our last ep- last episode, I was in a dog pile. Uh, thankfully, yeah, thankfully tell, I wanted to ask died, you, but <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. What was going through your mind as you're jumping on? And you're like, holy shit, I just talked about this. Now now I know John is going to give this interview. He's going to give it to CNN, and it's going to be used to roast me. Like, What were you thinking as that was going on? Were you worried about positional asphyxia? Did it even occur to you in the moment, or were you just in your normal badass sergeant mode like what was going through your mind in your last dog pile since our last episode no i i kind of chuckled to myself that here here we go again in this situation there is some a lot of solace in the thought that it's extremely rare that that happens i did but when those things happen i'm kind of everybody gets so amped up dealing with the situation it's kind of like you have to i did go hands-on immediately when i went in there but 
you also have to kind of direct people. Okay, like move your knee from here, put the handcuffs on there. You and you go do this, you do that. So there's not a lot of time to, <laughs> in the situation, to reflect on future punitive damages and what could go wrong. But but I did chuckle immediately. <laughs> what what went wrong with this inmate? Was he pissing you off all day? Was he refusing to put clothes on and cuff up? Or like uh, what, what necessitated you going hands on? No, I was uh, somebody called for assistance. I hadn't even put my duty belt on yet. I just got just got there, so I was being briefed, and uh, somebody was trying to be combative with someone else and I, I I told him I completely understand the feeling like we've all we've all had those thoughts but you need to stop <laughs> yeah I, I'm sure as you were holding him down and his link his lungs were collapsing and uh, his eyes rolled back in his skull you thought to yourself I am glad to murder you right no he actually uh, filled out a, Yel- <laughs> a Yelp review for us he gave us a good review he said he'd definitely be cuffed <laughs> by me again so Four out of five would get restrained here again. Yeah. <laughs> These chaps are okay. <laughs> I I uh, I mentioned the ridiculousness of you having murder in your heart as you're restraining this guy, just to underscore how ridiculous it was last week that ten people, seven deputies, and three hospital staff have all been charged with second degree murder in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But I don't want to remind that because we went through all that. Do you remember your first transport? I remember mine. If you remember yours, go ahead. Otherwise, uh, just tell me a good one. Uh, not my first one off the top of my head, but like I said, most of the stories are a lot less harrowing. Generally, when we do transports, we'll have two people go, especially it's usually several hundred miles. It's We're in the middle of nowhere, so it's a long, long transport if we're doing something like that. So wow. I, I recall, excuse me, recall one uh, being with a senior, and I don't mean, well, probably closer to senior citizen than uh, actually senior officer early on going on a transport with don't know what exactly what her pronouns are i'm going to use her uh, you wouldn't have needed to tell me i never needed to know <laughs> go on though but uh, we're in the middle of the desert on this transport and the person in the back keeps saying that he has to pee so generally uh, we would take the stereo we would just play the stereo in the back so you can talk about general things and just ignore them say you have to go pee before we go you know take care of your ablutions before we leave because we're not stopping this train doesn't stop until you get there and then we make our way back but she insisted that we let this person out of the transport car to relieve himself where in the high desert in the high desert on the side of the road that's illegal yeah yeah don't remind me um i I assume so, but I mean, like, you know, I mean, I get, I, you know, I understand that, like, when push comes to shove, you know, you're gonna have to do yeah, it. Yeah, I have but, one of those uh, stories too. You know, but. I mean, but, it, <laughs> but yes, uh, I, I, I worried about that right as soon as I said push comes to shove. I worried but, about that. But uh, not to get too graphic, I know this is Patreon, so we kind of can. But once he was finished, he's like, "Hey, man, I need some help." It's like, nope. You're you're all on your own there, pal, because he's still in full restraints. I I didn't check to probably should have checked to make sure those leg irons were still sanitary afterwards. Now that I'm thinking about it, but uh, I was like, nope. I said I don't care what you gotta do if you gotta jump, shimmy, pretend you're, you know, a Latin music star or whatever. I don't care what you gotta do. You get yourself back in your pants, sir. And we got him the rest of the way there, but he specifically had mentioned to several people involved in the transport 
that he didn't want me to go on the transport because he thought that I didn't like him and that I would leave him there in the desert. Naturally, they made sure that uh, I was one of the two people to transport him, but he made it there. He made it there fine. Uh, that's uh, that's interesting, and it's a conundrum that we've all faced. Actually, the, a story I, I, the, well, I will tell. I want to tell my first one and my last one. Uh, the bathroom comes heavily into play in the last one. My first one was I was a brand new officer. I wasn't even signed off yet. I was still on what they called mentorship or probationary status, or I was still basically I was following another officer around, and I wasn't allowed to do anything on my own. And they actually had me in a control room that day. They were putting me up in a control room, so I'm not even supposed to have contact with an inmate that day. But then an inmate needs to go to the hospital, I think because he had cut himself. He was in four-point restraints and still managed to cut himself, which is normal and not amazing. <laughs> and... Um, um, so they pulled me out of the control pod and they're like, you're going with them to learn how to do transports. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I realized later once I was wise, it was because it was a three man transport and they didn't have enough staff. So they sent me as a full officer as though I counted, even though I wasn't allowed to do anything, which is fine anyway. So we get him in the van and this guy is exceptionally bizarre and he's got, you know, wounds all over his f- arms and, um, from self-harm. And he's got his knuckles tattooed. He's He has the words fuck and you tattooed on his knuckles so that when he puts his hands behind his back to be handcuffed, you can read it properly from left to right, fuck you. So this guy was um, either getting a prison tattoo or out at some point getting a tattoo knowing I will be handcuffed again. It's going to happen. This is the life I lead. See, for me, I don't think I'll ever be handcuffed. So I would never have that forethought to think of a, a cool pithy remark to put into the correct order so that someone handcuffing me could be like whoa I'm insulted as I handcuff you you know <laughs> I would never think to do that so we get him down there and uh, he's super dangerous and kind of crazy we put him in the bed so you actually do handcuff them to the bed that is what you see in movies and that is realistic which I didn't think would be but then it happened right in front of me I'm like oh I guess that's what you do so at this particular hospital they have really good food like they're known for this and the inmate wanted a regular food which i think that day was probably um, a nice filet mignon served uh, a pauvre with a nice sauvignon blanc okay so he wants that <laughs> and we're like guess what dude you uh, you do not get hospital food you are getting a ham and cheese sandwich from the kitchen because i grabbed it before we left And when we told him he wasn't getting the nice food, which is probably the only reason he cut himself was to get down to the hospital for food. He extended his body with all the muscles in his body and he destroyed a instrument panel along where his feet are. So there's like a there's an instrument panel along where the feet are that I think you can use to like get the patient's weight. You could push a button. Maybe it makes the bed go up and down. Anyway, it's an instrument cluster. And merely by ex- extending his, his, his muscles and his tendons and his bones, he cracked this thing and destroyed it. And all of a sudden, you know, like, we're like, oh, he's going to hulk out. And he's going to get away. And for whatever reason, I don't remember the exact reason, but we're, we're now dogpiling him in the bed. <laughs> so the officers group got his arms, and I think they put a spit mask on him. And I'm like, I'll take the knees. I'm a, I've, I've seen knees before. This is not totally unusual to did me. You, I get where they're going to bend. Did you approach from the wrong angle? Okay. No, I wasn't injured. So th- this story has almost come to an end. But I jump on the knees, and then the sergeant comes in, and it's the sergeant, and he's just doing his normal hospital round, which he has to do once per shift for all the inmates in the hospital. And this sergeant was chill as fuck. Like, I never saw him even express an emotion, like happy or sad but he, he, or anger. He was just cool. 
Like he would just talk to you normal, very calm, low. He, he was like the sergeant of the library. If such a thing existed, that would be him. It's just like, what's going on? I'm like, he's fighting us. And he goes, I can see that. And then he talks to the inmate and goes, what's going on with you? And he goes, I want hospital food. He goes, yeah, you know you can't have that. And they kind of have a discussion about that. And then it was over. And then, but it, but this was my first experience. Number one, fighting a man. Number two, a crazy person, you know, someone who's cut themselves up. And then it turned out to be for hospital food because they wanted a nice lunch. It, going from, from zero to this, uh, that was basically me transitioning from, you know, correctional officer from person. That was the, the first time it became real to me. I will say that I was finally ordained as a correctional officer proper, like the highest order of correctional officer. Yeah when I was finally called a racist for no reason. That's when you're actually baptized into the, the high order of correctional officers is when someone says you're a racist. And the person is the same race as you or everyone that you're dealing with is the same race or what have you. Any other interesting transports before I, I hit my, my last one? Uh, well, I used to I used to tell people all the time when they told me I, I was racist, um, I would come back with them like, hey man, that's really fucked up. Like, I'm I'm colorblind like you can't call me racist like i have a disability man and they're like really i'm sorry i'm like no i'm just fucking with you <laughs> i did the same thing where i would i would do something like i gotta be honest i know you're just joking around but it really hurts because of because of this and you know of course i don't really have feelings i'm certainly not going to tell my feelings and like some inmates would just be like oh man that's fucked up and i'm just like yeah i'm just kidding that's not true and then they'd be like oh fuck you Bates." and then they would laugh you know so that was one way you could kind of get them like if you appealed to some level of humanity that they had and then you're just like no i'm lying you know that you could get them to laugh that was something that actually worked quite a bit right you had to get some get some common ground levity is a good good thing oh uh, humor's shitty, perfect and if shitty if you, situation yeah, if you can joke around with an inmate, eventually you'll be able to get them to do whatever you want. It doesn't mean they're not going to still get pissed off and they're not going to ignore what you say and refuse directives, but you can get them to come back around and you can kind of, you know, be, they'll see that you're, you know, you're a person too. It doesn't mean they won't try to kill you later, but for a time, you'll at least behave, you know, with some civility and you can use that to make your day easier. Right. Yeah, and I, I guess for an another story, we don't really have cages in our in the transport vehicles. I have used several different ones we have a couple at our agency that have like the plexiglass or the metal you know lexan, lexan yeah, yeah. yeah. We, sometimes we'll say get what we affectionately call the war wagon we'll get one of the larger vehicles from adult if we're doing like a big transport a bunch of people a paddy wagon is what we would call it yeah those were always fun because you arrested irish people and put them in there i think is the reason why you called it that right well, that that's fucked up because I'm part Irish. I'm actually the fighting, drinking, swearing part. I'm part Irish too, pal. <laughs> so it's, it's it's Patty or mate or something like that. Some Mc some such bullshit. <laughs> of course, I told someone today that my my uh, nickname was Potatoes O'Brien, and that will come out at some point on the Patreon. <laughs> so get ready for that. Nice. I do remember uh, with the restraints, um, we were talk kind of talking amongst each other about, you know, what do you do if somebody runs on a transport? I was still a fairly new officer, and we had some transports that were like once a month, some were, you know, every couple of weeks, some were emergency transports, like it was happening all the time before coronavirus. One of the officers told me, it's like, well, you're like, you don't have to run after them, like as soon as they take off, like doesn't matter where you touch them, you just kind of touch them, and they can't regain their balance in leg irons, you know? which turned out to be true. So ironically, I was taking somebody to the dentist, 
Did Did you ever step on a chain to keep somebody from charging someone else? I've seen no, that done. Never, never. No, and I've never used the leather uh, waist belts when it has like the little tail on there. I've never used that to to we like used, gain we used control or move them around like a leash. When, no, I never did that either. Are you kidding me? We that's, use belly chains un- all the time for that yeah, exact no, reason. That's that's unadvisable. No. Why? No, that's not the way. It, <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> it's like, I still do. I wasn't supposed to do that? Fuck. <laughs> I used to teach restraints, so I'm really flummoxed by you saying don't do that. <laughs> Because I t- I have trained a generation of officers to do so. That. So what's your what's your thought on uh, the the keyholes? Do they do they have to face a specific direction? Away, not yeah. Give a shit, or you know. They have to face away, but okay. So the so the belly chain goes around, and the chain loops. There's a chain that loops through, and you pull that, so that's relatively loose. That goes through a black box, which is a clip that uh, covers the chain between the two handcuffs. I don't know why I'm explaining this to listeners. They cannot understand. <laughs> but then a piece goes over that to clip. So the handcuffs, you cannot twist them around. They're like this. And then it, hol- it holds the handcuffs in front, of their, in front of their belly, like what your leather belt does. And so anytime restraints are on, hands are on. Because like once you have an inmate in full restraints, uh, if someone over there hates them and sees that they cannot fight back, they're going to run over and kill that person. So I've got him by with a non-dominant hand. With my left hand, I'm holding onto the back of them by the belly chain. And then I've got my f- right hand free to either fight the inmate I'm holding onto or to fight off his attacker. So that's so this is actually very well thought out of why with I your, control with them. With your large Irish hands. Yeah. With my big, well, mine are actually real small. But they're good for, for like doing little jabs, right? Like I can get somebody's eye like nobody business. But So then I, I purposely control them with my non-dominant hand holding onto the back of the belly chain. Am I wrong since 2008? Like, it's it's time to, to get me figured out. Well, everyone's entitled to their opinion, John, even if they're Well, even I know, but one's wrong. right and one's wrong because, because <laughs> right, one has to be because... Well, I, I, say, I say that all the time, like, even if it's wrong because your opinion's subjective. I mean, there's pros and cons to everything, I'm sure, but inmates can't... Last question for you. If you're moving more than two at a time, you chain gang them together? Well, we don't, no. We did. If we were moving three, we would have two officers. You'd have one in the front and like one in the middle, holding onto like the middle chain. No, that's good. You didn't. So, so that like, if you wanted to, you could just pull everybody but, down, get everybody. But you down didn't go ground. like full Russia. What is that? White Dolphin Prison or whatever, where they have them like uh, bend in half the entire time they're handcuffed, so that. No, they, I've like, seen that. They like put the black hood on and take them different routes to the prison, so they don't know where they're going. Usually we we only put the hood on them if we were going to kill them without taking them anywhere. Right. Yeah. So we never did that in other words. Well, I could tell you some stories about that, but then I'd have to kill you. So um I could tell you some stories about it too, <laughs> but I don't want to do that here cuz we we ne- I was never cruel or unusual. Right. It's it's like in a legal sense. Not even safe for but, Patreon. Um but anyways, no. it's very difficult to catch yourself or run or do anything when you're in restraints. And some like you said are yeah. more more uh, used to being in restraints than others. This was a fairly uh, initiated individual who was getting, uh, ironically, some dental work done. And it does snow here, but we did these very early before the office opened for regular customers. And uh, mm-hmm. so there's a sheet ice on the floor. And he thought he'd be funny. He said, what would you do if I started taking off? And he had mentioned that he knew someone in an apartment complex very close by. 
so I already knew approximately his method of or direction of travel so I said well fuck it give it a try just give him a little tap on the shoulder and he went face first into the ice and slid about 30 feet on his face oh <laughs> nice Whenever someone would joke joke with me about escaping, it's different for me because I'm state. So I'm like, I get to kill you if you run away. You realize that, right? Like, I'm allowed to shoot you. It's literally in the use of force that to prevent you from committing a felony, you from harming someone else, I can use it to I can use lethal force to quell an uprising and to prevent your escape. So I'm pretty much going to shoot you if you run away. And then that, like, wasn't funny to them, so they stopped, you know, joking around. Right. But it's different when, you, when you're dealing with sometimes with pretrial guys, guys that haven't been convicted. Your use of force is different. And that's tough. And I'm, f- I'm actually finding that out. Um, my last story that I want to tell is actually the, the last transport that I did, which was only last year. Because I'm a transporter and not a correctional officer anymore, which means all I do is transports. Uh, there was a guy. I'm going to try to condense the story down because the story is about, it's about 24 hours long to tell. <laughs> so I'm going to try to condense it down. Um, I'm going with a, a transporter who's pretty new at it. He's pretty young. He's pretty inexperienced, and he doesn't have the bearing of a correction officer. He seems like a pushover. He seems weak. He seems like a really nice guy. He's like the kind of guy you would definitely like. You would ask him to help you move, but you would not want him backing not, you up. Not, not you want know? to ride with you. He, he's a good guy, um, but he's not a good correction officer. Like on the way there, he was like, hey, just so you know, inmate X is not going to want to wear, wear leg irons. I'm like, so? <laughs> He doesn't get a choice. The, the policy states he wears them, so he's going to wear them. Wait. Why are you giving me a heads up that he doesn't want to wear them? Like, he's oh. going to wear them because I will have him wear them. And I'm not worried about what he thinks about that. So I don't need an advance warning that he's not going to do this. So this isn't Burger and King. It, he doesn't get his way. Yes, exactly. Okay. And admittedly, so, like, I've been correctioneering, you know, for <laughs> now well over 10 years. Like, even though I haven't been in, in the profession, like, I I have experience that goes back to the time when this kid was probably in grade school yeah so we go in there and it's been a while since i have transported like an actual like a really bad guy normally i'm transporting guys that can't post bond on duis and stuff like it's nothing but this guy was going to a suppression hearing because uh they wanted some evidence suppressed in a kidnapping case he was accused of kidnapping a woman and torturing her and raping her over a period of about seven days this is a really bad guy Okay, so it doesn't mean that he did the thing that he's accused of, but uh, as it turns out, I knew him from when I was at the state penitentiary, and he was a bad guy there. And he did not remember me, as we'll find out later. But he walks up, and he says, like, hey, Uh, his name was also John. He goes, hey, I'm John. How are you? And he reaches out his hand to shake my hand. And I'm like, I don't do that. And you could say that that's really rude or not polite or whatever, but that's, that's the number one test is he wants to know what kind of officer I am. Am I chummy? Am I going to be his friend all day? Am I going to let him get away with a little shit mm. or what? I said, I don't do that. And, I, you know, it was all business and let's get going. And he kept asking me what time it was and he kept asking me what route were we taking and he kept asking me what the speed limit was where we, where we were at. I think because he was like implying that he was going to get me in trouble for speeding, which, you know, I don't give a fuck. Go ahead and tell the sheriff I was speeding, which I wasn't. And if I was, I'll tell the sheriff I was speeding and he can write me a speeding ticket. That's fine. You know, like I'm not afraid of getting in trouble over this. So we'll kind of cut through the story fast. The guy's testing me like this all day long where he wants to know what I think about this, what I think about that. And um, it eventually gets to the point where he's, uh, we get him into a room where he's with his lawyers. He gets to discuss his legal strategy for the suppression hearing without, uh, ha- without handcuffs on. He has to keep his leg irons on. 
But he gets to be in this room with his lawyers all day long. I don't really like this because I'm used to having eyes on an inmate at all times. I'm not used to having them be have privacy with lawyers, and I don't like it. And it immediately puts me on edge. Uh, my guy that's transporting with me on this occasion, this guy was not the younger guy. This was a really old guy, and he was also very laid back. And uh, would at one point he's like, you know, he's talking to the inmate. And goes, yeah, you want some coffee or something? I could check in the office to see if we have coffee. I'm like, why are you offering him anything? Don't offer him things. Like, are you, what, what is this? It's good. So he disappeared for a while and he drinks a cup of coffee. Later in the day, he asked me for coffee. And I said, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And he goes, you're not going to? I'm like, no. And he goes, well, that sucks. I'm like, well, I guess I'm not a waiter. You know, I'm just pretty much straightforward with him. Like, I'm not here to serve you. And he goes, well, I thought protect and serve. I'm like, I protect and serve the decent people of this county from you. I don't bring you coffee. You know, and he, and he goes, and then, you know, I, I admit I had to set a really hard line with him. Like, I'm being very adversarial with him because he's testing me all day long. Mm. I'm not like this all the time. I actually like chumming up and getting along with inmates. Like I said earlier, I'll joke around with them if they know what the line is. But this guy doesn't know me. I'm a more of a hard ass than these other transporters. That's for a reason, by the way. Yeah. I am there to replace a transporter who got his ass kicked and his vehicle stolen. He got fired for that. I came in and told the sheriff, like, look, I'm, I'm not going to make those tactical mistakes. I don't care if an inmate likes me or not. I'm going to be professional with them, but I'm like, I'm going to tell them I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to pull over and adjust restraints on the interstate I'm n by myself. I'm not going to, like, leave the window open between me and the back. I'm not going to do these things. Like, I'm const uh, I'm going to I'm going to search the vehicle before I put an inmate in it to make sure there's nothing in there that they can use to hurt me or escape with. I go through all these things, and so the sheriff knows me. He knows that I'm hardcore. He went on a transport with me. He sees what I'm like when I take a guy to with a dentist. He knows I'm pretty hardcore, and he wanted me for this transport because this guy's dangerous, and he's a two-man transport, and I would argue he probably needs a third man. So anyway, you know, so he, it's adversarial all day. He uh, pretty much, you know, he starts making cutting comments, which I don't care about. I don't respond to. I don't go down to his level. <coughs> but the end of the day eventually comes. And uh, we're getting ready to leave. And my partner, I swear to God, he goes, uh, uh, you want to use the bathroom before we go? And I say, why are you offering that to him? We are going to take him. I don't care if he has to poop on the way. He can hold it until we get there. It's not that long. But why are we going to take him into the public bathroom in this courthouse which is we don't have any other security we have no backup here mm. we don't have any cameras why are we going to do this like he should be pooping in the jail right that's a safe place for him to poop why are you going to offer this to him i don't get it he's been in the room with his lawyers all day i don't know if his lawyers are scrupulous i don't know if he's used that time to fool them and get a hold of a pen or something who the hell knows he could have anything right. he's already doing time on doc time this is important to mention okay so he's facing new charges but he's also on parole so, you know, you want to talk about what his custody status is. You want to talk about what his rights are. He's already convicted felon doing, doing prison time. Mm. So he's already on that status. It, as far as I'm concerned, he doesn't have the Fourth Amendment and all that because he's already convicted and he's already on that time. You can make an argument about whether or not that's appropriate since he's in county custody. I don't know. All I know is, is that I don't like the tactical situation that I'm in. So this guy decides he's going to let him loose in the bathroom. And uh, so he goes and we undo his uh, leg irons and he's he is giving shit to me the entire time. I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, Bates is afraid of me. He, you know, he doesn't want to undo the, the leg irons and the handcuffs because he thinks I'm going to thrash him. He keeps like trying to call me a coward the entire day, which mm -hmm. I don't respond to. And this my coworker again, why doesn't he understand like the power play that's at hand here? 
you know, like you have to be an idiot to not understand that a confrontation is brewing. Mm. And now we're taking off handcuffs and leg irons. No. What, did, what does he need his you, legs for? Well, we're not taking off leg irons here. Okay. So you're right. So thank you for checking me on that. Okay. <laughs> so he goes into the bathroom and he's like, I'm going to poop. I'm like, sounds good. And I'm holding the door open. And he goes, close the door. I'm like, no. And he goes, what do you mean? No. I said, I'm not closing the door. And he goes, yes, you are. I said, no. I said, you have two options. You can do your business in front of me, get it over with. I don't care. Or you can save it and you're going to go poop at the jail. Right. And he goes, well, I'm going to exercise a third option, meaning he's going to fight me. And this was the moment I actually became a transporter for it because I wanted to know if I could still do it. I wanted to know if I could look a guy in the eye and, and convince him that I am more excited about the idea of violence than him. Mm -hmm. Not because I am, but because the only way that I can dissuade him, the only way I can make him not want to do this is to show him that I'm as, I'm, I'm as willing to do this as he is, that I am absolutely in it and that I'm going to dissuade him and that I'm going, I am willing to meet him on his terms in a physical fight. I'm not afraid of him. I'm not shy. I'm not going to kowtow to him. It's basically the ultimate dick measuring contest. Like, are we going to go or, or in not? In the bathroom. My partner's like, my, yeah, in the bathroom. <laughs> and my partner's like, I'm going to leave. He tries to walk <laughs> past me between the inmate to go out because it's the tension's too high for him. Like, nice of you to be able to detect interpersonal tension no. now. You couldn't detect it all fucking day. Because we, we were at the courthouse for six to eight hours with this guy. It was all day. Mm. I literally said to the, my fellow officer, I said, no, you stand right over there. So I'm in charge of the inmate, and I'm in charge of my coworker now. I say, no, you stand right there. You're staying right here. And I said, you're going to sit down and take a shit, or we're going to leave right now. And we're having a standoff. And the crowning moment of my career that no one can understand is that that man sat down and took a shit in front of me. He did something he didn't want to do. He did something that was embarrassing to a normal person. It wasn't embarrassing to him. Don't fool yourself, folks. He's pooped in front of people before. He's been he's done serious time inside the state penitentiary. He's had to poop in front of people for probably for the last 10 years. He doesn't care. It literally is an issue of who's in charge, me or him. And I was I was proud because I was able to, after all these years of being outside the walls, to assert that I was in charge of this guy. And it really, when you, and you'll find this out for yourself, Jake, that when you leave, You'll go through a time where you're ready to step back in and you can do it at any given time. But then by about the time eight years goes by and you're finally back in that role again, it doesn't feel that comfortable. At least it didn't for me. And I w the first time I was transporting people, even for minor stuff, I was like, how prepared am I to like phys psychologically do battle with him? Can I, can I meet him? Can I dissuade him? Can I control this person? Because he, he does do need to do what, I'm, what I tell him. And for me, that was kind of the ultimate moment when, I, when I'm looking at this guy who's a really bad guy I believe that he probably did rape and and torture this kidnapped woman for a week. And now he wants to fight me with possibly with weapons. But ultimately, you know, he wasn't even able to save face in that situation. Now, it would have been different if there had been other inmates there. I would have had to have him save some face because otherwise he would have fought me. There had been other inmates there. He would have definitely done it. But because it was me and this other, you know, officer who wasn't very smart, that's why he relented. Do you have thoughts on that story? I, I, I hate to just kind of like tell a story and then the, the podcast is over. So just, you know, anything you want to say. No, well, interview I me. mean, that's that is a that is a tactic. I mean, we don't have uh, access to tasers and a lot of cool tools and stuff to uh, gain compliance. So definitely, um, you know, using a mind fuck and um, acting like you're, you know, sometimes you got to be a little more chummy with people that have done 
terrible things that that's true. I would not. Uh, I wouldn't outside of work. It would be a very different situation. Um, but yeah, no, I've had to chum it up with people I have despised uh, exponentially more than him. I've had to be very, very yeah, chummy. And, Go and, ahead. and they need to they need to believe it. You know, you need to be convincing, but also, um, yeah, making sure making sure that they're. You know, something I've told them many times along with some other choice words and things is, you know, you think I'm locked up in here with you. No, you're locked in up in here with me. So if you want to go, you want to start something, I'm more more than ready to finish it. You know, I I have no problems with dealing with you by myself. I'm not going to call for backup. I don't need backup. You need to do what I say or it's over. Like, yeah, you you have to have that mentality. What you're doing is is you're you're already winning by by winning the psychological game. Now, an outsider will say, well, you're being a dick. You're being abusive. You're being verbally, you know, aggressive towards someone. You're being psychologically aggressive. No, you're preventing a fight from happening. You're preventing a use of force. You're preventing a trip to the hospital for him or for you or for both. You're preventing you're preventing an active an act of violence, which is, in my opinion, far more cruel. So if you can dissuade somebody out of fighting. And being a tough ass isn't the always way, the way to do that. Like mm. I already said earlier, I prefer to joke. If I could have joked with this guy and gotten him to cl- comply with me all day, I would have done that. But he opened our encounter by shaking, by trying to shake my hand, and he so he was already trying to to kind of assert that he was going to be friendly and chummy with me. I would p- rather prefer you know that it be neutral and that I show that, you know, I'll laugh around with you and I'll joke with you and I'll treat you with respect. But he wanted he wanted to basically take away my authority right away with saying. Hey, shake my hand. We're on the same level, and that's that was the set the tone for the rest of the day, and it changed the way that I responded to him for the rest of the day. Yeah, and it's interesting too. I mean, we had a situation where we were doing a, a cell extraction on someone, and a, a therapist that had been a therapist for uh, many years saw it, and uh, this person was trying to escape up through the ceiling because this particular cell has one of those like interlocking metal ceilings, not like concrete like most of them. Does it have an escape hatch in the There's top? There's no escape hatch. Uh, that's uh, it's the closest thing we have, so that's why he was attempting. Um, he'd already flooded the cell, and we were dragging him out of there. And she's <laughs> talking to her afterwards. I just see the look on her face, because you know, to most civilized people, seeing somebody self-harm, seeing somebody absolutely lose their shit like that, seeing a use of force, CPR, uh, things like that, it's disturbing, you know. And uh, she was very, she was like came into the sergeant's office i was talking to the sergeant after we'd gotten him out got him in another cell changed his wet clothes you know uh, i didn't dress him or uh, tuck him in the bed but gave him stuff to change Mm -hmm. into uh she's looking at me she's like i've never seen anything like that before i'm like well just so you know even in this facility that's like a three so i think you need to you really should probably understand who you're dealing with and the people that you work with um, what they deal with on a daily basis before you start worrying about whether this person or that person got a stress ball or whatever, you know, I, it's very important, the mental health aspect, but, um, but yeah, officer safety, uh, trumps that, you know, and people that think that, uh, the way that we have to deal with and talk with inmates sometimes I'm like, Hey, you know, uh, smart asses work here and dumbasses live here. And this is not your normal society. This is all things are no. not equal. Respect goes no. a long way with some people, and other people are just human garbage and do not give respect they'll, to anybody. 
So no, and the, and if you and if you're if you're deferential to them, if you do even anything like saying please and thank you, they see that as weakness, and then they try to exploit that. Yeah. So no, you cannot compare society inside the walls to free and open society. They're not comparable, and that's why people on the outside can't. You can't go on a tour or observe something or follow an officer for eight eight full hours on a shift or twelve hours. And come away anything other than horrified, but you don't understand the power dynamic that's at work there. You've got to remember these guys, they have, they're not in control. For them, it's all about maintaining a schedule. It's all about maintaining faith. It's about maintaining dignity in light of the fact that they have no control. It's struggling with all the stuff that got them there in the first place, whether that was problems with authority or problems with drugs or whatever. Like Abuse. It, it's a whole yeah. other. Yeah, it's an, it's an alternate dimension when it comes to the sociology of the place and it's not comparable to to life outside the walls and that's why everything works differently that's why communications works differently it's why sex works differently inside prisons than it does outside um and it's just it's a whole other it's a whole other level so it's really tough i'm glad i could tell you that story because i knew you would appreciate it whereas like this thanksgiving when i tell the story <laughs> to uh you know my mom like i forced a guy to poop mom you know <laughs> she's not gonna understand why that's a cool story a or why it's yeah. good or or why it why it said anything about me as as a professional that was still able to do a job that I left behind a long time ago. Does um, she does she understand why so many of the stories involve poop? Well, I mean, you know, to take take the joke out of it, I guess I don't talk to my mom. But uh, the common person does not uh, understand why poop is in there so much. And all I can say is, like, listen, you poop. Now imagine you're not to leave. And the plumbing was built by the lowest bidder at your state facility or county facility. And some people really like poop and they're fond of it. Like in our, in our first episode where we were talking about people like patty caking dry turds and leaving them places. And um, here, here's a, just a quick tag on story about poop and about getting my, my, my way. We had a brand new guy just came in. St he's still uh, he's still in the admissions and orientation process. So we don't know anything about him. I, I've never met the guy before. I think he was probably a white collar criminal because he just had he didn't have any like prison credibility about him. But he left his housing unit where he lives and he came to where I am and I am in the uh, the rec area. So like the the gyms there, there's weights, there's basketball, there's a card room. People walk in there. People jump rope. He's left his his housing unit, which is against the rules. He comes to where I am and he goes, hey, do you mind if I duck in there to the bathroom? Because the bathroom in the gym was kind of behind. It was, you know, you're not pooping in front of people who are playing basketball there. You can kind of go around a corner. There's no door. He goes, do you mind if I go in there? And I said, listen, I know you're new here, but I'm going to lay some truth on you. You're going to poop in front of other people. It's going to happen. I know you don't want that time to be right now, but it is right now because you weren't supposed to leave the housing unit that you live on. You are already in violation of the rules. I know you're a human being and you're in search of comfort and dignity. However, you will not find any in a state <laughs> prison. So either like like curtail your diet severely so that you do not have to lose your dignity uh, to pooping in front of people or like this is it, man. Just let it rip. Uh, get comfortable with it because you're I assume you're here for at least a year and you're going to you're going to drop a deuce in front of a dude at some point. So just embrace the suck guy. And it was Kind of a kind of a funny prison story. I'm sure everyone in our audience who's not a correctional officer really appreciates me telling a normal guy to go poop in front of someone and, else. And uh, to those people, I'll just say shit happens. So, shit does happen, <laughs> and and it, and it's terrible, right? Because I would hate to be in in, in his place. But he also, you know, presumably uh, committed a felony and was convicted of that or pled to it. So, 
there's always that. Uh, anything else, Jake, before we sign off? I know we're about, gosh, how many minutes in? We're over an hour at this point. So. No, I'm good. All right, I'm going to let you enjoy your vacation. I'm going to go enjoy my Saturday night. I did this thing where I ate ice cream before I ate my steak, and now I want ice cream again, so I don't really know what to do. So it's kind of a conundrum. I may eat ice cream again. I'm supposed to be on a diet, right? Like the steak was in my diet, but the ice cream wasn't. So I don't know. I don't know what to do. All right, we will catch you next time on Fire Stop Hard Time. Uh, you got a joke to take us out with, don't you, Jake? I do. I do. Actually, uh, this joke is a good one because it, it could involve like hospital transport this might happen um i just made a girl in a wheelchair laugh yeah the the bitch was rolling oh man <laughs> every week you embarrass me right at the end <laughs> that bitch was rolling that just reminded me actually of two more transports that now i don't have time to tell you about but next time i will next time all right, all right, everybody, uh, you stay safe inside the walls, whether it's in the showers or in the towers. You be cool inside the perimeter. We'll catch you next time.